You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. to see that that most of them had on green shirts um, that means they're serving this morning goes right along with the series that we're in called gifted and we're in first corinthians chapter 12 this morning um, i thought about those three girls that had the shirts on and the others that were up there they don't know any better than to come to the gathering or to come to church or to be a part of church and serve and that's, and that's a beautiful thing. That ought, that ought not to be unusual for us to recognize that we're a part of the body of Christ and therefore uh, in cooperation with that being a part of the body, we are servants of the people in that body or servants of the mission of that body. And so um, thank you all for serving. This morning we're in our next to the last message um, in the Gifted series and the title is True Unity in Diversity. And the Apostle Paul is going to do something that he's done before. He's doing it again. He's going to talk about the body. Um, And he's going to talk about parts of the body that you can see and parts of the body that you can't see. Someone asked a pastor, what do you think is the most important part of your body as you stand up and preach? And he went through a whole list. And when he finished, the person said, you missed the one thing that is profoundly important, and that's your big toe. You can't see my big toe this morning, but believe it or not, if I didn't have my big toe to operate as a leveling device as I moved around, I would probably fall over because the big toe is always sensing where my balance is just like yours in helping me maintain an equilibrium. That's how a part of my body that I'm not even aware of is functioning to help me accomplish the purposes that I'm trying to accomplish this morning. And so Paul's going to point some of those things out to us, but I want us to look at the text beginning in verse number 12 of chapter 12, and um, Paul points some things out. So notice, notice the text. He's going to use the word body 19 times. The word body is used um, in uh, Romans 12. It's used in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4. It's used in Colossians 1, and he's going to use it two ways this morning. First of all, he's going to use it in reference to the human body, the physical body in verse 12, but then he's going to uh, use that as an analogy to help us understand the spiritual body, the body of Christ. So, so pay attention to that as we read through the text this morning. He says in verse 12, for just as, so he's making a comparison here. He's, he's, this is an analogy. Just as the body is one, the human body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body, the body of Christ, does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, and he's, again, this analogy between the human body and, and the spiritual body. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And the, the phrase, I do not belong, is important for this section. And I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, as a a second statement that he's making, the first statement that he made was in verse 12, 
He said um, in verse 12, so it is with Christ. And, and now he's again making um, another statement. But as it is, comparison, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Don't miss that. We are the body of Christ. We have been given gifts by him, and he places us in the body to use our gifts according to his own choosing, not our choosing. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we see this unity, this unified body in this diversity, all of the parts of that body. Verse 21, and he moves on to another theme. And that theme is seen in this phrase, I have no need of you. So the, the first theme was, was seen in, um, um, I do not belong to the body. Now he's moving to, I have no need of you. So there are those that say, I, I'm not a part, I'm insignificant. And there are those that say, I don't need anybody else, I'm independent. I don't need to be connected to anybody else. In fact, if you connect with people, you're going to get hurt. Therefore, I would just rather serve God by myself, leave me alone, Right? Impossible, impossible. How, how many of you uh, need to do something and you, you're like, hand, why don't you go out to the garage and get the hammer and nail those nails? And the hand all of a sudden separates from the body and goes and does that. No, cut your hand off. It's not going to pick anything up. It's going to lay there and die. Anyone that thinks they can operate independently of the rest of the parts of the body, that's human relationships, you will die. The body has got to be connected to the body for the body to work. The hand is not going to work without the wrist. The wrist is not going to work without the elbow. The elbow is not going to work without the shoulder. And then you've got all the muscles and all the tendons and all the ligaments and all the nerves that are connecting to the spine that are running up through the brain and the brain is working. You can't say, I'll be on my own. I don't, I don't need you. I have no need of you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What's he saying? There are parts of the body that we think are not necessary, but we can't live without them. The hand like, hey, I'm a hand, or the ear says, hey, look at the ear. You can see my ear everywhere I go. You can see my nose everywhere I go. You can see my eyes everywhere I go, but you don't recognize that there's a liver inside of me functioning, and you can't see it. And maybe the liver, you think the liver's not really important because nobody can ever see the liver, but take your liver out and see what happens to you, right? Take your heart out and see what happens to you. You don't see my heart. I may feel it beating every now and then. Take my brain out and see what happens to my body. And so he's trying to tell us that we need, just because you might be out front and just because people might be amazed at your service, it doesn't mean that those parts that can't be seen are not necessary or that, that they're, we can dispense of those. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, be, we bestow the, the greater honor and on unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God, listen to this. This is a third statement. But God has so composed the body. It goes back to God's work in putting the body together. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Now he's making these broad statements about how the body should function, how we should relate, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice 
together. Fourth statement, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. Now I'm going to throw you a curveball, verse 31. I think Paul is making a negative statement when he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I think based on the context of this passage that Paul is saying, but you earnestly desire the higher gifts. Folks would say, oh, we should earnestly desire the higher gifts. No, I think he is correcting them. I think he's chiding them. That is the context of this passage. Paul is not looking and talking to people that have a healthy view of spiritual gifts. He's talking to people that have a very unhealthy view of spiritual gifts. He's not talking to a unified body. He's talking to a divided body. He's not talking to a people that are functioning seamlessly. He's talking to a people that, number one, are saying the very things that Paul is saying in this text, that I'm either insignificant or that I will operate independently. Or finally, he's saying here that you can operate arrogantly and you say, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm just going to have the higher gifts. That's exactly what was going on in the body. And so Paul, I think, is correcting them and saying, but you folks are wrongfully desiring the higher gifts. Now, I may be wrong. I think that fits the context. I also think that, that a proper interpretation of the Greek would lend itself to that. This is an English translation. I'm, it's a great translation. I'm not trying to correct it, but I'm trying to tell you Paul's dealing with a problem. We, we get so messed up in the church when we go to 1 Corinthians, particularly chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, and people want to use this as normative, and you, you miss out on the hyperbole. You miss out on the correction. You miss out on how Paul is dealing in the context with the troubled church, and then we run in and grab a verse out of context and, and we completely misunderstand it. And so um, that's, that's the text. Let me break it down for you. Um, first of all, the main thing that I want to say about this text is this. Christ's body is a collection of unique people with diverse gifts who function in seamless unity. Now, that's the, that's the goal. That's the objective. Christ's body is a collection of unique people with diverse gifts who function in seamless unity. What we're going to see in verses 12 and 13 is the analogy of the body. What we're going to see in verses 14 to 31 is the tragedy of the body. And then he gives us one statement in verse 31b, the second half of verse 31, and we're going to see the beauty of the body. I don't think Paul is saying to them in verse 31, hey, why don't you desire the, the higher gifts, the more showy gifts, but I'm going to show you an excellent way. He's saying, no, you desire these gifts wrongfully, but I'm going to show you a better way. And he's going to go into chapter 13, and he's going to show us the better way. So, Consider with me, first of all, the analogy of the body in verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, he's giving us a picture of the human body. And mark it down, the same God who made the human body and put the human body together exactly the way he put it together, formed it out of the dust of the ground. I believe he did it exactly like the Genesis account tells us. The same God that formed the human body is the same God that formed the body of Christ the spiritual body, every part has a purpose. Here's what he says about the human body in the text, that it's one, 
that it is cohesive, that it is coordinated, that it is connected, that it is comprehensive, that it is indivisible, that it is an organism that can't be divided in any part of the body that's divided kills the body or kills that part of the body that is divided or separated from the body. We know that. We know that. Um, we see, we've seen that happen before. So there is one body that is coordinated, that is working together. You can walk. You're going to go to lunch today. You can pick up a fork and you can eat and you can do everything that you do because your body is coordinated together doing what the head tells the body to do. He says there's one body. Secondly, there are many members. There are many specialized parts of the body. The hand has a certain function. The knee has a certain function. The ankles have a certain function. The toes, the fingers, the ears, the eyes, the mouth, the teeth, the tongue, everything. There are these specialized functions of the body. And if you are not aware of that, then try to go to the doctor and ask them to consider some part of your body that they're not familiar with. You go to a general practitioner, he, he's skilled at writing prescriptions and giving you medication based on a, a, a clinical diagnosis of what he believes is happening inside of your body. But if you need something done to your eye, you go to the ophthalmologist. Is that right? Or the optometrist, one of the two. I never get those right. Something wrong with your ear, you go to the ENT. Something wrong with your throat, again, the ENT. Something wrong with your lungs, you go to the pulmonologist. Something wrong with your, your, you know, uh, your blood, you, uh, whatever. You name it. There's a specialist for every part of the body. Why? Because there is one body, but there are many unique parts of the body. One body is a constant reminder of Christ's literal spiritual body here on earth. In other words, God created the body, I believe, in some way to point to the spiritual body, the body of Christ, and to remind us as we walk around with one body and many parts that are functioning together, he's given us this physical body to remind us of just how profound and unique and powerful and necessary it is for the body of Christ to fit together cohesively and work together in unity. So there is the human body, but secondly, there is the spiritual body. And he tells us that in, um, at, the, at the end of, of, the, of verse 12. So it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. The same God who created the human body created the body of Christ. One writer said this. He said, the church is an organic whole, the living manifestation of Jesus Christ that pulses with the eternal life of God. The eternal life of God is living in and among us as his people. It is the life of God that accomplishes the mission of God through his people. So the text bears out two things. Number one, um, Jesus, with great purpose and precision, has taken many unique parts and assembled them together into one body. That's what verse 13 is telling us. Jesus with great purpose and precision, has taken many unique parts and assembled them together into one body. Notice what he says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. He's going to these extremes to say that there are all kinds of people in the body who have unique histories, who have unique abilities, who have unique personalities, and these people are brought together in an orchestrated fashion. He gives us pictures of a wall, a temple, a building uh, throughout the Bible. The, the, this structure, though, is out of people, and these people are the body 
of Christ. Uh, so often, we, we live in a culture that's dividing us along cultural lines, that's dividing us along racial lines, that's dividing us um, uh, along ethnic lines, that's dividing us uh, based on the different histories that we experience. And, and a lot of times, folks are coming. Believe it or not, I'm having conversations with people, and some folks are mad because we're not bringing up this subject, and some folks are mad because we're not bringing up this subject. And I want to tell you something. You're hearing everything about what's going on in the culture seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and, and many of you can sit down on your phone right now and you can just touch your thumb on your phone and a news, news feed is going to come up and you're going to get everything that's going on in the culture. And I want to tell you something. The, the Word of God does not call us to address all of the nuances that are taking place in the culture and bring that to the center of the church and let that be the thing that we preach about. You need a few minutes every week where somebody's opening the Word of God. And folks, if you need something besides Scripture when you come here, then I can't help you. I'm not an expert on the things that are going on in the culture, but let me let you in on a, just a little secret. You aren't either. You are not either. You, you are taking in information from a, a certain source, and if you're believing everything that that source is telling you, you're getting something wrong. So I would ask you, when you come here, I would ask you to please open your Bible and let's say, what does God have to say? Because bless God, I need a break from all of that mess that's going on around us. I need a break from the lies. I need a break from the, if I can say it, I'm going to say it. If, the, if your kids start saying it, I'm sorry. I need a break from the stupidity and the lunacy and the idiocy that's going on in the culture. And I need to go to something that's going to bring me sanity and hope. And it is the Word of God. And the text is telling us this morning, the text is telling us that what the culture is saying is in diametrical opposition to what happens when the Spirit of God goes to work in the heart of a man or a woman or a teenager or a boy or a girl because what it does is it makes all of these things that divide us at the very least secondary and it makes what Christ has done primary and that's where we stand. And if that's not where you want to stand, you might be in the wrong place this morning, okay? And I don't want any of you to leave. And if you do leave, keep sending your money. Amen. I don't want to make anybody mad. But I just want to tell you, and, and I'm so passionate about it because we so desperately need the Word of God. And we're connecting to all these things and we're dragging them up into the church. And we're saying, well, why isn't the church talking about this? And why isn't the church talking about this? And I'm telling you that there is a better place to go that's going to give you something deep in the recesses of your soul that are going to sustain you when the winds of all of these conversations blow away. And when Jesus comes back, we'll be ready to meet him. That's what we're living for. So, thank you, Georgette. Um, okay, let me move on, and I'll try to do so calmly. Um, <laughs> um, the second thing we see in verse 13 is this spiritual transaction. Notice what happens. How do we get in the body of Christ? We don't get in the body of Christ because we join a church. We don't get in the body of Christ because we uh, all of a sudden decide we want to do that. It says, for in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. So Christ, through his spirit, is placing people into his body. All different kinds of people from all different walks of life. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So a spiritual transaction has occurred. 
We have now received Christ's righteousness because he fulfilled all all righteousness if we trust him. We have now been forgiven of our sin if we trust what Christ has done. We now have victory over sin through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we are taken and miraculously placed in the body of Christ. The human body is uh, the miraculous work of creation, but the body of Christ is the miraculous work of regeneration. And so Paul says, I've, I've been by the Spirit taken out of the world, literally taken out of the world, spiritually taken out of the world and placed into the body of Christ. When we're placed into the body of Christ, we are then necessarily connected to other people that have been taken out of the world and brought into the body of Christ. And Scripture would then tell those people in the body of Christ, I want you to pray together. I want you to go make disciples together. I want you to bear bear one another's burdens together. I want you to do life together. I want you to worship together. I want you to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody together to the Lord. I want you to remember me together as you participate with juice and bread. The point we need to understand is this, though, because this is a work of Christ where he's taken us out of the world and placed us into the body, then our activity, our commitment to, our involvement in the body of Christ is not optional. Connection to and participation in the function of the body of Christ is not an option. Why? Because we have been joined to the very life of Jesus Christ. We have been joined to the very life of Jesus Christ. And we have been joined to other people who have been joined together to the very life of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Now, you may have walked an aisle and you may have prayed a prayer and you may have gotten dunked in water. That doesn't mean that you're saved. That just means that you did something that somebody told you that you should do and they told you if you did those things that you would be saved. Saved, but I'm telling you right now, if you're resting your hope in nothing less than the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death and his burial and his resurrection, you are born again. And you then by virtue of that have by the power of God through his spirit been placed into his body. And because of that work now, you in, in a real life form have been connected to Christ and connected to other believers. Ray Stedman said this, he said, this is what the church is. It's not a group of religious people gathered together to enjoy certain mutually desired functions. It is a group of people who share the same life, who belong to the same Lord, who are filled with the same Spirit, who are given gifts by the same Spirit, and who intend to function together to change the world by the life of God. And the text points that out so clearly to us. Christ, the head, would say... This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. This is who I want you to be. And he has every right to do that. And there should be a clear connection between us and what his will is because we've been connected to the life of God because we've been brought out of the world into the body of Christ by an act of God. And we are now part of the body of Christ. That is absolutely undeniable. So that is the analogy of the body. Secondly, we see the tragedy of the body beginning in verse... 14. I've already read that. I pointed out several things to you. Let me, let me tell you three tragedies that I believe Paul wants to point out to us um, in, in the body. Tragedy number, tragedy number one is indifference. Tragedy number one is indifference. I don't belong, the text says. 
indifference. He says in the text, the body does not consist of one member but many. He says in the text that there are no insignificant parts of the body. He says in the text, if any part of the body is missing, it affects the critical function of the body. Has anybody ever experienced paralysis? Has anybody ever experienced a stroke? Has anybody ever experienced or been around a family member that has experienced dementia? You know when the brain isn't working right. You know when the body isn't working right. And you know how difficult that is. And Paul is saying if any part of the body is missing, it affects the critical function of the body. So you can't say, you can't say that I don't belong. If any part of the body is missing, the body is profoundly and negatively affected. One writer said, a Christian who does not have a ministry is a contradiction. But, but he, he's, he's telling us that you can't, you can't call a time out and say that I'm not involved in the body because I don't belong to the body. You can't say that I'm not going to be involved in the body because my gift is irrelevant, because my gift isn't necessary to the body. He says, he closes it out in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose so that the body, the life of Christ, would flow through his body and out into the world to bring glory to him. God has arranged us as members in his body as he chose. Therefore, we cannot use indifference as an excuse. I don't have a place. You need to find your place. You need to seek your place. I had lunch with a brother this week. We sat down across the table and he said, I just want to do something in the body of Christ. I want to be useful in the body of Christ. He showed up here this morning at 9 o'clock. Um, he was doing everything that he could find uh, to do and, in fact, uh, ended up cleaning up bottles out on the parking lot and a piece of glass came through the plastic bag and cut his leg. Um, I hope he doesn't need stitches um, and I'm not going to check it out to see. But the point being this, he could say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I don't belong. Maybe I'm not a part. No, he said, I want to serve. I want to serve. We can't, we can't be indifferent. Every one of us has been given a gift if we are believers and we cannot succumb to indifference. But secondly, in verses 21 to 26, he not only talks about indifference, but he talks about independence. And the phrase there is not, I do not belong to the body, but the phrase there is, I have no need of you. One says, I feel insignificant and the body doesn't need me. The other says, I'm going to serve, but I don't need all these other losers. I don't, I don't need these other people. I'll, I'll do it myself. I have no need of you. John Wesley said there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. If you want to go to the Old Testament, uh, you want to go to Genesis 4, there was a guy named Cain, and Cain said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to operate independently, and I'm even going to destroy my brother I'm so independent. So um, there, there is in this second tragedy in the body of Christ an, an overestimate of our own importance and an underestimation of the importance of others. An overestimation of my own importance and an underestimation of the importance of others. I'm going to be independent. And human, and human independence seems logical. It, it, the, the, human independence is the residue of unregenerate leftovers that are a, 
a product of the fall. I can do it myself. Or just me and Jesus, we can do it. I don't need other people. I am, me and Jesus, we are self-sufficient. And Paul would say, on the contrary, the parts of the body that are not like you are the ones that you desperately need the most. This is the tragedy of us conglomerating together with people that are like us. I don't understand them. Maybe it is that sensitive person or that loud person or that quiet person or that insensitive person or that emotional person or that non-emotional person that needs to be a part of your group that completes that group together so that you can be all that Christ wants you to be and so that this body can be served effectively. God has so composed the body that there be no division but that there be deep connection and that there be deep care and that there be deep respect circulating around everywhere, even among people who don't operate the way that we do. That's what the text is telling us. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? That there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all Rejoice together. We were honoring these graduates. We rejoice with them. If there are those who are suffering, we suffer with them. In the body, there should be recognition. There should be appreciation. There should be value. There should be connection. And we should be unified. And there should be comprehensive rejoicing and comprehensive suffering whenever there is good thing, whenever there are good things or negative things that are occurring to us in the body as a part of the body of Christ. So the tragedy of the body is indifference and the tragedy of the body is independence. They don't need me or I don't need them. Years ago, uh, I was uh, playing basketball and I fell and broke my wrist and I went and got, a, uh, got an x-ray and I got an immobilizer and put on my arm. And it's interesting that my whole body stayed awake all night to make sure that my wrist was okay. Some of you are wondering, why can't I sleep? Why am I in pain? The rest of your body seems like if, it seems like the way we view the body of Christ, it seems like we'd say, oh, my wrist hurts, but hey, guess what? It's over there, and I'm going to lay my head on the pillow and go to sleep. No, you can't lay your head on the pillow and go to sleep. If there's something wrong with one part of your body, then the rest of the body is going to suffer with it. We are not independent, and we cannot be indifferent Listen to me. Our independence and our indifference hurts the cause of Christ in Locust Grove, Georgia. And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how it makes you feel, and, and I can imagine how it might make you feel because I'm a very sensitive and emotional person. But when we feel like we don't matter, we feel pity. And when we feel like nobody else matters, we feel pride. And we run the gamut of all of those things. But the bottom line at the end of the day is when we latch on to those things as a first go-to as it relates to other people in the body of Christ, it hurts the cause of Christ. And it is a denial of the very life of God that is flowing through us based on what Christ has done in pulling us out of the world and placing us into his body by his spirit. The third tragedy is not only indifference and independence, but the third tragedy is that of, of, of arrogance, of arrogance. And I see that in verses 27 to 31. That's, that's what he's getting at. Are all apostles, all of you want to be apostles? Certainly they do. 
Do, do all of you want to work miracles? Yes. Are all of you prophets? I'd love to be a prophet. You want to be a teacher? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all possess the gifts of tongues? Do all interpret? Is, is every gift a gift that is an upfront gift, an outfront gift? The church at Corinth, we know for a fact, was focusing on the gifts that were showy out front, higher, so-called higher gifts. And they were arrogant about it. And so the apostle Paul would say, I don't want you to be indifferent. I don't want you to be independent. I don't want you to be arrogant. Stop wanting impressive gifts. It is God who decides which gifts you get. Stop wanting to feel superior in the body of Christ because of the showy out front gifts. So he gives us this analogy and he gives us this tragedy. But then thirdly, we see the beauty of the body. And I get it in the last half of verse 31. He says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. What is the more excellent way? The more excellent way is the function of the gifts in the body of Christ that is driven by this, this love on steroids, this love that is so pervasive, this love that permeates everything, this love that, that drives us and motivates us, this love that is tangible, that can be seen between one another in the body of Christ. We, we criticize people who talk about love. We think that's some kind of liberal message. We want a hard message. We want a legalistic message. We want, we want to feel like our toes have been stepped on when we go to church. But he's saying there's a better way. There's a better way than being indifferent. There's a better way than being independent. There's a better way than being arrogant in that more excellent way by comparison to these negative things that Paul has driven down on in the previous passage. That excellent way is going to be seen in chapter 13, where we have this supernatural love that exists between us as the body of Christ. It's interesting that some would say, well, this more excellent way abolishes the gifts. If you understand the excellent way is in contrast to the, these malfunctions in the body, then it doesn't mean that we have to do away with the gifts. It means that the gifts now function in this soup, in this context, in this energy of us loving one another. One of the greatest gifts that you can ever give your children is, is, is not a home that necessarily is, is regimented and not that your discipline is perfect, although I think those things are, uh, schedule is important, discipline is important. I'm not trying to put those things down. But I would say one of the greatest gifts you could ever give to your children is for mom and dad to love one another. Because it's in that context, it's in that context where love is tangible, where love is visible, where love is real, that that child is going to find security and that child is going to find freedom and that child is going to see the beauty of how Christ operates in the life of his body by seeing it in the home. And folks, one of the most, one of the most compelling things about church is not the building. It's not the structure. It's not the leadership. It's not the ministries. 
one of, the, one of the most compelling, if not the most compelling thing about the church is when people who have been called out of the world and placed into the body of Christ by virtue of placing their faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, those people now have the life of God in them. They are connected to the very life of the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They've been invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. And those very people now are connected to other people who have the life of God in them. And we should not be able to help but love one another with the love of Christ. That's why we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm not going to get into that. We'll get into that next week, and that'll be our last message, last message in this series. Let me, let me close with just a few thoughts this morning, and, um, um, and, and then we'll, we'll be on our way. Number one, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? I didn't ask you had you joined the church. I didn't ask you had you been baptized. I didn't ask you where's, where's your membership. I'm asking, are you, have you placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone? Because that's the starting point. The starting point's not verse 13 where we've all been baptized into one body by virtue of the work of Christ. But, but have you placed your faith in Christ or are you depending upon yourself or are you rejecting him this morning? If you are not a Christian, I would, I would compel you, I would beg you, I would plead with you. Put your hope and your faith and your trust in Christ and come and join us in this amazing body where the life of Christ permeates our life together. Secondly, what are you living for? What are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the world? Are you living for materialism? You need to answer that question. You need to answer that question. What are you living for? Because, because if you have been taken out of the world and placed in the body of Christ and the life of Christ is in you and you're connected to other people that are involved in the body of Christ, then there needs to be something that is d directly, that is distinctly, that is unmistakably connected to the function of the body of Christ that ought to be a reason for you to even wake up in the morning. What are you living for? What are you living for? Thirdly, who are you connected to? Who are you connected to? Again, if we're part of the body of Christ, that necessitates, that necessitates, there is no way, there is no way that a person can say that I'm a Christian and not be a part of the body of Christ, right? Because if you're a Christian, Jesus, by His Spirit, has taken you out of the world and placed you into His body. Therefore, there is not a person alive who says they're a Christian that, that can say they're disconnected from the body, which therefore necessarily means that you are connected to other people who are a part of the body. So what are you living for and who are you connected to? You must be connected to other believers. And then... Fourthly, who are you rejoicing with? Was this just a, an exercise in we just trying to, you bring your kids up here and send us the picture so that everybody could say, oh, you're amazing, your kids are amazing? Or are we rejoicing in the accomplishments of a fellow members of our body? Are we rejoicing in their blessing? Who are you suffering with? Who calls on you when they are suffering? Who invites you into their suffering? Who really does believe that you would enter into their suffering 
with them. How do you feel when you hear about somebody else suffering or struggling in our body? Does that, does that, does that, does that impact you? Does that weigh you down in any way, shape, or form? Who are you rejoicing with? Who are you suffering with? Who are you serving with? And then a fifth question is, are you, ind- are you indifferent? Oh, well, they don't need me up there. Are you independent? Oh, well, I don't need them. I do my own thing. Are you arrogant? If I can't have one of the out front gifts, I'll just come and keep a seat warm. And then finally, there is an excellent way. And um, there is a more excellent way. And that excellent way is real. That excellent way is real. And folks, the excellent way is tangible. I could stand up here. We, Chris is going to come next week and preach through 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to go to McDonough, and I'm going to preach through this text up there in McDonough. We could talk about 1 Corinthians 13 all day long. If people have 1 Corinthians 13 memorized. They, they've got, I mean, they got it, you know. We, we got certain verses picked out of 1 Corinthians 13. But, but the more excellent way is tangible. In other words, you can see it, you can feel it, you can experience it. And I would ask you this morning, are you experiencing the more excellent way? And when other people interact with you in the body of Christ, are they experiencing the more excellent excellent way. That's where our power is. Our power is not in powerful speakers, in uh, powerful resources. Our power is in the excellent way, the way of the love of Christ flowing in and among his people and flowing out of his body into our community through us. 